What is up, sports fans? Thanks for tuning in. My name is Fry, and I am the host of the Sports by Fry podcast channel. Today, I am recording part two of my NBA report cards. I already did the Eastern Conference, so now I have to touch on all the Western Conference teams. The NBA regular season finished last night. Massive, massive year, especially for those teams in the West playoff race. I can't remember a playoff race that's come down to the wire like this one did in recent memory, really. Um, awesome, awesome year. A couple of teams and players really took us by surprise. I'm looking at you, Utah, and a couple of others faltered and crashed and burned. So I'm going to unpack all of them. This podcast will also be available in the form of a YouTube video, so you can check that out by searching Sports by Fry on YouTube. Or if you'd like to read these pieces, they will be live on the sportsbyfry.com site by the time that you're watching this video. So with that said, let's dive right in. each team a little bit, but I don't want this video to go for too long. So first things first, I'm going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks. They probably underachieved a little bit this year. I probably should have known that they would have been crap considering who they had on their roster. A couple of things that went well, obviously Dennis Smith Jr. looked like a stud. He's a key piece of their franchise future. I actually really like Dwight Powell. His per game averages don't really suggest give me a big contract. And I think he's on about a five-year, 40 mil. It might be four-year, 40 mil contract. So he's probably not living up to the hype of that yet, but he's still young and he's actually looked really good in some of the games that I watched him play, which is a plus for Mavs fans. What went wrong? They can't score the ball. Harrison Barnes averages a very hollow 20 points a game or something close to that mark, but he doesn't really impact the game in a lot of other areas. Kind of like another wing player who's also a disappointment that I will talk about later on. Dirk Nowitzki... I don't really know why he's coming back for another year, and it's kind of sad to see his career ending this way. I really wished he went out on top, kind of like Tim Duncan did, KG to a certain extent. You know, you don't have to try and drain the rinse, what's the word, ring the... You don't have to try and get every little ounce of playing time and money out of your body, so he busted his foot, broke his ankle or something of the sorts in the last fortnight of the season, so... He's going to probably enter the preseason a bit banged up and a bit worse for wear. It's not great. Speaking of not great, I have no idea what the hell happened with Nerlens Noel this year. He's another guy who I touched on Hassan Whiteside in the last episode. Noel's probably in a similar boat from a Mavs perspective. He'd really benefit from a change of scenery. And considering he's a free agent, I don't think Mavericks fans will be uh, too bummed to see him go. And Dallas will probably look to offer him zilch in the free agency window. I predicted that the Mavs would win upwards of 30 to 35 games, but like I said, they really struggled this year. Probably a smart thing to do, to lose and bottom out, really get a good draft pick, but as a result, I gave them a D this year. There's some more tough times ahead for Dallas fans. There's not really a lot of promise with the exception of Dennis Smith for their future, so hopefully whoever they get in the draft this year can turn out to be all right, but yeah, not a great season for Dallas fans. Next up is the Denver Nuggets. I could talk about their highs and lows for hours. Real shame that they didn't get the job done in the last game of the year with a playoff spot on the line, but that kind of sums up the Nuggets season in a nutshell, really. They were pretty good, but when it mattered most and when their season's on the line, they 
just couldn't get the job done. It probably is going to cost Mike Malone his job, but there were some things that went right this year. Nikola Jokic is unequivocally a star of the competition. There's not many things that he can't do on offense. His defense clearly needs a bit of work, but when he's got the ball in his hands, he is an absolute gem. He's a special, special talent. I was crunching some numbers about two-thirds of the way through the year, and there's only a handful of guys who've averaged 20, 10, and 5, or 15, 10, and 6, or whatever stupid numbers that Yoke was putting up. As the Nuggets were making their big stretch and were really looking like they were gaining momentum and they were going to make the playoffs, Yoke was almost a walking triple-double. So having him under contract makes Nuggets fans a lot happier. He wasn't the only one, though, and like I said, their offense is really their strong suit. Another part of their strong-suited offense was Jamal Murray. I called him Steph Curry 2.0 about, what was it, nine months ago, which was a pretty big call, lofty call, but he's got a similar game style. He shoots a lot. He shoots quick. He can get to the rack. He's a good ball handler, and if you can put him, Gary Harris, and Nikola Jokic together, nice core for the Nuggets, their future's looking pretty bright. Obviously, though, things didn't go according to plan for Denver this season, and the big reason for that was defense. Points per game allowed, they were okay. I think they were about 21st in the league, but defensive efficiency was where they really let themselves down. They were the 26th ranked defensive efficiency team, allowing a lot of points per possession. So they've got to tighten the screws up a bit in that area. Another year into the likes of Jokic and Murray, and if Gary Harris was healthy down the stretch, they might have bumped their numbers up a bit as well, but their defense basically didn't get the job done. Another disappointing thing, when their season was on the line, they won games against the Thunder and Portland, which was really cool to see, but if they didn't drop games against Dallas and Memphis two weeks later, or Miami in double overtime, that one's a little bit of an exception, but playoff teams can't afford to drop games to Memphis and Dallas and the likes of those teams. I think Memphis was riding like a 17-game losing streak when they beat Denver, so if the Nuggets want to make the playoffs next year, which... Looks like they will. They should probably be in the mix again. They need to fix up their defence and they need to make sure they don't drop games like the ones they did down the stretch this year. For the Nuggets final grade, I gave them a C. The offensive developments they made and the growth of their young guys kind of balanced out with the struggles that they had in missing out on the playoffs. To be in the position to be playing for a playoff spot in the last game of the year, I mean, it sucks to lose that game, but they were in that spot, and they deserve to be in that spot. They played pretty good the entire season, but they just couldn't get over the line. Watch out next year, though. They could come out like a wrecking ball with Paul Millsap's healthy, Jamal's healthy and firing, and Nick Jokic is a walking triple-double, like I said. They could really challenge for a top-four spot in the West, but they don't need to worry about that now. They need to sort out their defence, get everyone healthy, and worry about making the playoffs first. All right, I'm rambling, talking about teams too much. The Golden State Warriors didn't really do what they, I thought they would do. Obviously, they're in year four now of their massive stretch of success, so I probably should have seen it coming. I predicted that they'd win 69 games, and in the end, they won 58, which isn't a struggle, isn't a bad thing, but I thought they'd be a little bit better. When Curry was healthy, he looked invincible and arguably looked like the best player in the league. Kevin Durant really did establish himself as a great defensive player as well. For about the first half of the season, I think he was leading the league in blocks and was in the defensive player of the year combo. So those two guys are obviously success stories from their season. You could say that the injuries were something else that didn't go according to plan, but you 
can't really balance out for injuries. You know, they happen to every team. But the biggest problem for the Warriors is they're starting to look old, old and tired. I don't think it'll hurt them too much in this year's playoffs. And they should be okay. They'll definitely make the West Finals. Knock on wood if everyone's healthy. But, you know, I, I could see them losing to Houston in the Conference Finals. I could see them losing in the NBA Finals to the likes of the Raptors or the Cavs or whoever else plays them. You know, they, they for the first time in a long time, they look vulnerable. That being said, they'll probably go 16-0 or something stupid and sweep the postseason. I gave Dub Nation a B for their efforts this season. You can't be too upset with recording 58 wins, which I think from memory is about the third highest total in the league. They're well set up to have another good playoff run, but yeah, I thought their regular season would be a little bit more impressive. You can put that down to injuries. If they had everyone healthy, they probably would have won 60-65 games, but just a little bit underwhelming. On the flip side, the Houston Rockets were the success story of the year. People love Philly, people love Toronto, People loved Utah's climb, but Houston balled out. A ton of things went right for Houston. Chris Paul and James Harden proved that they can coexist and they meshed perfectly. Not only that, but every other player on the roster proved that they can just stand in the corner and hit an open three when things are going pear-shaped. Clint Capella was another success story of this year. He led the league in field goal percentage. Uh, it's pretty easy when you're catching lobs from Chris Paul and James Harden, but looks good defensively, helped rebound, provided exactly what the Rockets needed him to provide. What went wrong in Houston? To be honest, not a lot. They looked pretty good. They were almost perfect. I mean, James Harden missed a handful of games and so did Chris Paul, but with the exception of those guys missing about half a dozen games, everything was clicking for Houston this year. For their grade, I gave them an A+. It's no surprise. They won the league. They had the most wins in the NBA. They look like arguably the favourites in the West. Maybe Golden State. I don't know. That's a discussion for a whole other day, but regardless of what happens this year, Houston's proved that they're in good stead to be a contender for at least the next few years. They do have the contracts of a few guys coming up that should shake things up and make things a little bit tougher, but yeah, they had a fantastic season and deserved their A-plus grade. The Los Angeles Clippers, I predicted they would go 42-40 and 40, and they went 42-40. and 40. That was the only team that I got my win-loss record correct bang on. A few, I was about one or two games off, but the Clippers I nailed. What went right for them? Uh, not much. Not much at all. Actually, that's not true. Lou Will played really good for them. Re-signing him on a very cheap contract is going to help their future. And they're not poised too bad for the future. They got a decent return in trading Blake Griffin. Tobias Harris looks fine. And another first-round pick will definitely help if they do kind of bottom out and start to do a little bit of a rebuild. That second first-round pick they got from Detroit will help make that bridge that gap and help them you know stay in contention that being said they don't have a ton of cap flexibility they've got some weird contracts deandre's playing option this year will probably dictate a lot of their free agency moves gallinari signed a contract in the offseason austin rivers i think has a player or team option for about 10 to 12 mils so they're in an odd place with their contracts and if they were trying to contend they'd be in a real bit of strife but after trading blake i think they're okay such a weird season from the Clippers. I don't know if Doc Rivers' job's in danger. I don't really know what their direction is, if they're going to try and rebuild real quick or if they're going to try and stay up and contend. I gave them a C-, minus, only because there was a period of time where they looked like they were going to make the playoffs um, and they ended up just falling a little bit short. So you could have maybe given them a C, but 
Yeah, C minus. I mean, losing Chris Paul like they did in the off season and then coming back and going 42 and 40 is fine. And fine probably deserves a C minus. The Los Angeles Lakers. They probably outperformed a little bit. They won 37 games in the end, which is a nice mark. They were, you know, not hovering around the playoffs, but they weren't near the bottom either. They were kind of stuck in no man's land, which is where you don't really want to be as an NBA team. But they're in no man's land for a good reason. Getting another season of games into their young guys, like Ingram and obviously rookies like Lonzo and Hart and Kuzma, was fantastic. Their rookies looked really good. Say what you will about Lonzo's first two months or three months of the year, but he and Kuz were clicking towards the end of the year. And Josh Hart down the stretch showed that he's a nice piece as well. So they've got some nice young talent. They've also set themselves up pretty well to make a big splash in free agency. Whether they do or not is another discussion, but their future's set up pretty nicely. What surprised me was actually how good Contavious Caldwell-Pope was. They signed him to a one-year 18 mil deal, and... To be honest, they might want to bring him back. He was fine for them. He was okay defensively. He got them buckets when he needed to. It was a period of time where he averaged like seven rebounds for about six to ten straight games. So, yeah, I'd keep KCP if I was running the Lakers. What went wrong this year? I think they traded the wrong guy at the deadline. I would have loved to see him keep Nance and flick Julius Randle. Randle loves to have the ball in his hand, and he's probably a better player than Rance, but they could have got a little bit better return for trading Randall, and with his pending free agency around the corner, they probably could have re-signed Nance for a lot cheaper than Randall. So if you keep Nance, maybe you keep him on a structured, uh, cheaper structured deal, but if they can't afford to pay Randall, they could just let him walk for nothing. So that's a small little nitpicky thing, but it's something that I wouldn't have done if I was running LA. Aside from that, things pretty much went according to plan. Like I said, they got another 82 games or another full season's worth of games into their young kids. I gave them a final grade of a B. They're well poised to attack the free agency market this year and next. And even if they decide that they don't want to go after any of the big fish, they can definitely add some nice pieces on good contracts and still afford to extend their rookies when those deals come up. The Memphis Grizzlies. I predicted that they would finish a couple of games under 500. They did not. They finished 22 and 60, the second worst record in the entire NBA. It's so bizarre to think. They started the year with wins over the Pelicans, Warriors, and Houston. In Houston. Going from 3-0 down to 22 and 60 is a massive drop, but there's reasons for it. The biggest reason, obviously, was Mike Connolly's injury. He only managed a dozen games before he was shelved for the entire season. Not a great thing if you're a Grizzlies fan, and it kind of leaves them in a very, very weird spot. They could climb back up very quickly. They did a fantastic job of bottoming out and getting all the way down to those top picks. Imagine if they landed the likes of Luka Doncic or Marvin Bagley or Michael Porter Jr. and they decided to keep Conley, keep Gasol, keep Tyreek Evans. All of a sudden, that team could very well be a playoff team in the West. With the exception of those guys, though, they really just have a rabble of a roster. It was always going to happen. After the successful grit and grind era, they had to go through a bit of turnover. It saw Tony Allen and Zach Randolph and a few other guys let go. And players like Ben McLemore, although I invested in the off-season and etc., didn't really deliver. So if they want to be better next year, they need to find some smart investments in the free agency. Obviously, I thought they could stay in touch with playoff teams, but even with Connolly in the lineup, they didn't really look that impressive. And they played awful for the entire year. So it might seem a bit harsh, but I gave the Grizzlies a D. 
Don't be fooled. They could be a playoff team next year, like I said. But if not, they need to just completely blow it up. Get rid of Gasol. Get rid of Conley. Get rid of Evans. Even if it's just a protected first pick or something, just get them out of the door so that you can start the second chapter or the next chapter in Grizzlies franchise history. Turning my attention to the Minnesota Timberwolves now. They scraped into the playoffs by the skin of their teeth and they pretty much have Jimmy Butler to thank for it. The move to get him as one of their leaders or as their prime leader was a fantastic choice by their front office. They had to give up a few nice pieces and like I discussed in my East Conference uh, report grades, it was probably a win-win for both teams, the Bulls and the Timberwolves, but Cat and Wiggins couldn't have led that team to the playoffs themselves. So getting Butler there, even though he missed a bit of time, having his presence around that team is worth its weight in gold. Speaking of Wiggins and Towns, they weren't great this year. Towns was probably, you know, where we thought he would be. I thought he'd be a little bit better. He looks okay defensively, but obviously everyone knows that's one of the weak points of his games. But Wiggins, on the other hand, he really, really failed to fire. Similar to Harrison Barnes, as I talked about earlier. He averaged a very hollow 17 to 20 points a game. Didn't really do a lot else. Winged and complained that he should be the guy when Butler was out and you expected him to step up anyway. It was an odd season for Andrew Wiggins. And he's a restricted free agent, I think, next year. T-Wolves might be uh, tempted to let him walk and try and invest their money elsewhere. Considering the guys that they have, Minnesota was really bad on defence and rebounding the ball, which... It's, isn't it excusable? Cat's a massive big man. He's had big rebounding games. Butler's shown a way to hustle and get on the boards as well and play good defense. But at the end of the day, there are only two guys. You need your whole team to contribute if you want to be great on defense. And the T-Wolves didn't. Is part of that because Tibbs decided that he'd only play six guys 49 minutes a night, maybe. And it could very well hurt the Timberwolves in the playoffs if their guys are tired. But... I'm just going to put that aside. That's a discussion for another day. But yeah, I thought they'd be better on defense and rebounding. And they were a top four seed about halfway through the year. And everyone thought that they'd be the guys climbing up there. But they went through a massive stretch where they just stunk it up. And as a result, I don't really know where they're sitting at the moment. They're probably going to get swept in the first round by Houston. But they could be pesky as well and put up a bit of a fight. For the final grade, I gave the T-Wolves a B-. They made it back to the playoffs, and that alone in itself makes this season a success. I'm pretty sure they hadn't been to the playoffs since 2004, KG era, so about 14 years. Like I said, there could be a problem in the playoffs. I doubt it, though. I expect them to flame out. But B-, made it back to the playoffs. Now it's time to build on this experience. The Pels, I thought that they'd win about 10 games less than they did, and Anthony Davis was obviously the reason that they won all those games. Averaging close to Wilt Chamberlain-like numbers. Okay, not Wilt Chamberlain-like numbers, but you know what I mean. He was balling out when the Pels went on that massive 10-11 game winning streak. And that probably, at the end of the day, is what saved their playoff spot. On the flip side, though, losing Boogie really hurts. It would have been interesting to see how a whole season of Ant and Boogie panned out. And we probably would have had an answer of if they can coexist and play together. But... To be honest, I have no idea if those twin towers can work well. They looked like they were going to work well, but the rest of their roster's a bit mud. And as a result, there was times where, you know, they looked like they were going to miss, and then they looked like they were going to be in the playoffs again. Then when Boogie got hurt, Ant Davis fired up and obliterated the league, and that's probably what saved the Pell's season. So looking at New Orleans as a whole, it's 
very tough to approach their offseason. I don't know whether signing Boogie, or sorry, re-signing Boogie or trading Boogie or letting him walk. I don't know what the right move is, and it's going to be interesting to see how their first round series goes. I'm pretty sure they play Portland, and if they can upset the Blazers, they might be tempted to keep DeMarcus, keep Drew Holiday, keep Ant, and have another go next year, but... Yeah, they could, that's a lot of money that they could potentially use elsewhere if they let DeMarcus Cousins walk. Very similar to the way that I addressed the Bucks um, report cards, they can't let this opportunity slip because it could see Ant Davis pack his bags and leave New Orleans. He's still contracted for a few years, but really what they do with DeMarcus Cousins will determine whether Anthony Davis stays or he might go when his contract is up. I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about how Kevin Garnett said his biggest regret was not leaving Minnesota sooner. Anthony Davis was asked that same question in a report and he said it's definitely something that plays on his mind. So if the Pels can't get back to the playoffs next year and they can't have or can't build from this season that they've had, then I reckon the writing's on the wall and we can see AD in a new jersey sooner rather than later. Their final grade I gave was a B. Making the playoffs considering they didn't have Boogie regardless of how good Ant Davis is, deserves a bit of recognition. So, a solid B. <sighs> Next up is OKC. Gosh, didn't they have an interesting year. They were all over the shop. What went right? Say what you will about Westbrook being a stat patter or being hungry to chase rebounds, which he clearly is by boxing out Melo to try and secure a triple-double average for the second straight year, but I love the dude. Every team needs a guy that ferocious and that hungry to compete, and Westbrook is definitely that for the Thunder. He wasn't the only thing that went well. Steven Adams balled out this year as well and probably deserves some recognition in the awards, but yeah, Westbrook and Adams aside, things weren't too crash hot this year. Terrence Ferguson looked like he could be a, a handy pickup, and obviously Paul George did very Paul George-like things, but where they were let down was with the uh, infusion of Carmelo Anthony into the mix. There were times where it looked like he was going to adapt and become that third stringer and the next scoring option, but then there were times where he went 0-4, was benched for the final quarter, was all sorts of debacle and fuck withery with the Thunder this year, and that can be epitomised just by looking at Melo's roller coaster of a season. He wasn't the only Thunder guy that sucked this year. I was so disappointed in Patrick Patterson. When OKC signed him, I thought, fantastic, he'll be the nice little piece It'll come off the bench, maybe start a few games, get some boards, hit some threes, but he was virtually a non-factor, so it was a real shame for the Thunder. I thought that they'd push up and make a top two or three seed in the Western Conference. At the end of the day, they did finish fourth, so they deserve some recognition for that, but I expected more, and as a result, I gave them a C plus. If they make the West Finals and they take down either Golden State or Houston, that grade will definitely be pumped up, but... At the moment, I can't see them doing it, and they face a very weird off-season regarding Paul George. But, you know, it just kind of sums up OKC's year as a whole, doesn't it? The Phoenix Suns, everyone's favourite tankapalooza candidate. They were the worst team in the league this season. There were some things that obviously went right and some things that definitely went wrong. One of the things that went right this year was Josh Jackson. Post-All-Star break, he averaged close to 20 points a game and looked like the player that everyone thought he could be when he was flying around at Kansas. They actually nailed this season in my eyes. They bottomed out. They have the best lottery odds. They got Josh Jackson to develop. They traded for Alfred Payton, who 
might not even be on the team next year, but it was a gamble worth taking. However, it's not all positives. I've been on the record quite passionately saying that I hate, hate a lot of the Phoenix Suns big men. I do kind of make an exception for Dragon Bender. He was in the hate category at the start of the year, but he's definitely performed this season. I think he could be okay. But Marquis Chris, Alex Len, the rest of their bigs are pretty miserable. Len, I think, is a free agent this year and will probably walk. But I would love to see DeAndre Ayton added to this mix. Imagine Ayton with Devin Booker and Alfred Payton and Josh Jackson and TJ Warren. I think they'd be a really exciting team. So hopefully Phoenix can get a top pick and don't get pushed out once the lottery balls drop. But yeah, definitely some things that went right and some things that went horribly, horribly wrong. Another one of those horrible things was Eric Bledsoe. It seems like so long ago that that whole saga unfolded where he was tweeting at a hairdresser's salon and they didn't really get anything to show for it from a trade with him. I think Milwaukee ended up with their pick because it was protected between 11 and 16 or something bizarre. So I think it's unprotected next year, but Milwaukee will probably go up next year. So not a great return for Eric Bledsoe. Phoenix got a C grade from me, but this offseason proves crucial. They need to land a star that can play alongside Devin Booker with this draft pick. If they can do that, the next three or four years could see them develop into one of the very exciting franchises, similar to the way that Philly has this year. If they flop, though, and they take the guy that turns out to be a bust, I reckon it's clean house time. Booker will get traded. Everyone else will get cut. Coach will be fired. Actually, they don't even have a coach at the moment. So, yeah. Very, very important draft coming up for the Phoenix Suns, but this year was okay. They got games into their young guys and they were able to get a top pick in the draft, so not too bad. Next up is the Portland Trailblazers. They definitely outperformed this season in my eyes. I thought that they'd finish bang on 500. As a result of their uh, little post-All-Star break tear, thanks to Damian Lillard pretending he was Stephen Curry back in his MVP season, they find themselves in the Fourth seed, fifth seed, third seed, third seed, third seed, third seed. They have the third seed playing the Pels in the first round after beating Utah last night. That's right. So definitely a lot of things that went right. Their defense looks really, really great, um, which is something that I didn't think I'd be saying, especially with the backcourt of CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. They seem very well drilled as well. Terry Stotts has got all of them in a line. Everyone knows their role, and they did enough to succeed when they needed to in small patches. So their little tear that they went on post-All-Star break probably helped them avoid any of the chaos and carnage of the last week of the playoffs. And they weren't fighting on the last night for one of those final spots or for seeding. They were a little bit because they'd lost four in a row or five in a row going into last night's game against Utah. But their big stretch of wins that they had helped put them in good stead. They're not actually a great shooting team. Their numbers are boosted a little bit by their all-star backcourt, but their three-point shooting really concerns me. They still rank around the middle of the league, and that is taking into account Damien Lillard's hot stretch. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that Portland's in for a deep playoff run. Mo Harkless's injury came at the worst possible time as well. I know that he's questionable for the first round, so not everything is roses in Portland. I still don't know how good Portland is, and they could very well be upset by the Pelicans in the first round, like I mentioned. But taking everything into account and considering the carnage that unfolded in the West this year, I actually gave the Blazers a B plus. If they find themselves up against the Warriors in round two and perform pretty admirably, then there's no reason why they can't 
you know, make the West Finals. But I don't think they'll make it that far. Regardless of what their playoffs pan out or how that unfolds, I still think that they deserve recognition for what they did this year. The Sacramento Kings, oh my God. What went right? Um, not a lot, to be honest. Actually, I like the looks of Willie Cauley-Stein. He's probably their starting centre. Will he be an all-star? No. Could he be a Defensive Player of the Year candidate one year? Maybe. He looks fine as a starting centre. De'Aaron Fox looks like a light version of John Wall. Will he be an all-star? Don't know. Too early to tell. Is he their franchise guy? Probably not. One of the bright spots, actually, was Zach Randolph, who led the team in uh, points per game at a fantastically high rate of 14.5 a, a night. Well done, Sacramento. At least you got one thing right. Zebo's still got some miles in him. Vince Carter was making plenty of YouTube-worthy moments this season, so I guess you can take that as a plus, Sacramento fans. What went wrong? It can be summarised very simply. They don't have a franchise player. Buddy Heald is not their franchise player. Darren Fox might be, but will probably not be their franchise player. The rest of their roster is either very old or very youthful and unsure of how to play basketball. So the Kings are still anchored towards the bottom of the standings. Making this draft pick, once again, very, very important. They've kind of flopped ever since taking Boogie with a big pick five back in the day. So if they can land a star this year with a draft pick, then they might start to turn things around. But I don't think Sacramento's going anywhere for a while. I liked the fact that they brought in a couple of veterans to help mould their young guys, and their young guys look okay. I don't think that Justin Jackson or Frank Mason will be winning any awards anytime soon, but you know, you need these nice role players on your roster. You need a backup point guard. You need a defensive wing and an okay pieces that can come in and aren't, ex aren't demanding 30 to 45 minutes a game, but can still do 15 minutes worth of the dirty work. But taking all that into account, Sacramento is still shithouse and as a result of that I gave them a D this season. Alright, this is taking a little bit longer than I thought so I'll try and speed through these next couple of teams because the San Antonio Spurs season could be summarised very very quickly. What went right? LaMarcus Aldridge became an all-NBA guy. He deserves every accolade that he gets. He looked fantastic. DeJounte Murray looks like a star of the franchise. Pop has done duh, a fantastic job of getting the most out of all the guys in the roster. And he's probably helped Kyle Anderson, Davis Bertans, and there's one more I'm forgetting. Every other Spurs player that played meaningful minutes. He's probably earned them a second contract in the league. What went wrong for the Spurs? The entire Kawhi Leonard saga. The Losing your best player and a top five player in the league is going to hurt any team. Kudos to Pop and the Spurs for holding out on a playoff spot regardless of Kawhi's injury, but... I don't think there's any way that they upset Golden State in the first round or make a deep push without Kawhi. And because of all this uncertainty surrounding Kawhi, I don't even know if he'll be on the team next year. I'm probably 90% sure that he'll be wearing a Spurs jersey in 2018-19, but I don't know. For the first time in forever, San Antonio is surrounded by a little bit of controversy and drama. But like I said, due to the fact that San Antonio still managed to steady the ship and make the playoffs... I gave them a B. They won 48 games, which was too shy of 50. If they had have chalked up 50 wins, it would have been the 18th or 19th season in a row. So maybe this could be, we've talked about it for years, maybe this could be the start of the decline for the Spurs. Probably not, as long as Pop's wearing a suit on the sideline, I think they're okay.
Last, but most certainly not least, is the Utah Jazz. Probably the overachievers of the year, especially considering they were 19 and 27. I think I nailed that about halfway through the year. Donovan Mitchell probably won't win Rookie of the Year because of how transcendent Ben Simmons' season has been. Try saying that 10 times real fast. But Mitchell deserves every other accolade that's going to come his way. He could be Dwayne Wade 2.0, but a better shooter, I really think. That's his probably how his career will unfold. He looks like he's going to be a star for the next 15 or so years. He can score. He can defend. He's clutch. He's a highlight reel machine. He's awesome. All those Utah fans that were jumping off the bandwagon when Gordon Hayward left are probably trying to find that receipt for their membership that they threw in the bin. A couple of other positives for Utah. Who knew Ricky Rubio could shoot? I don't think he did either, but there was definitely times this season where he was canning threes and scoring. I think he had 30 points a couple of the times this year, so... That was definitely a plus for the Jazz. Another one was the ever-versatile Aussie boy, Joey Ingles. He looked like a... I'm trying to think of a guy who's kind of epitomised what he did this year. Like a nice glue guy who just did a little bit of everything. Joey Ingles is the guy that does what you need him to do night in, night out. Fantastic for Utah. What went wrong? Obviously, Rudy Gobert's injury. He only ended up playing just shy of 60 games this season. That hampered the Jazz's ceiling. If he had played all 82 games this year, or been healthy for all 82 games this year, then we could very well have seen the Jazz chalk up 50 to 55 wins, which would have been crazy considering where we thought they would pan out. It would have been nice if they were able to get some rest for Donovan Mitchell as well. And considering their bench, their bench is a little bit sketchy. I know they lost Tarbo, Cephalosha, but you kind of forget that Alec Burks is still in the league, and when you see him holding the ball for the Jazz, that's when you're uh, raising a couple of eyebrows. Wouldn't surprise me if he wasn't on the team next year. And Dante Exum seems to be injured every six weeks, so, you know, there's not all is well in Utah. Everything's looking up, but there's definitely a few things they need to work on. The final grade I gave out to them was an A. They're thoroughly deserving of an A. Not an A+. Plus. If they had have beaten Portland and secured the third seed, I probably would have been tempted to give them an A+. This year's been a success regardless, though. They can't let this momentum halt, though. They can't start to decline next season, which could very well happen. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's been outstanding and Rudy Gobert's great, but outside of those two guys, I don't back Rubio in to be a consistent shooter. And I've already talked about a couple of the other moving pieces and parts. Derek Favors isn't exactly a reliable guy, so... Future's in their hands, they need to deliver, but yeah, Utah's definitely deserving of an A this year. <sighs> that is it. All 30 teams done and dusted. Report cards are finalised, grades are given out. Whew, I'm going to go and take a nap. But before I do, I'm going to pump up my articles. So like I said, make sure that you read the articles on the Sports by Fry site. I'm going to be doing my playoff preview as well, probably coming out Saturday morning before the games get underway. A little bit of a shift as well. Instead of doing a Sunday sit-down this week, Jake and I are probably going to do a Saturday sit-down. The first game this weekend is about 3.30 Eastern time, so we might do it during that game. We might do it a bit later in the night. We might try and get it out before the first game tips off, but look out for that on Saturday. Thanks for watching these videos. I know they've been lengthy, but I appreciate uh, the support. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Give it a rating and review on iTunes if you liked it. Once again, thanks for listening, and until next time, peace. Peace.